minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. My gosh. He knows how to sing that oh hot, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> that is a pretty amazing selection. Bowie Kala, the Leonard Cohen remake. Uh, Leonard Cohen, many of you are, are aware, passed away at the age of 82. Uh, that is one of his uh, very well-known tunes. And uh, many people have uh, redone that selection, that melody, to the words Bowie Kala. And that's Ohad from seven years ago at the OL concert, uh, just knocking it out of the park. Just unbelievable. Uh, so we do that in tribute to Leonard Cohen and uh, with a big shout-out to Ohad for an amazing job. He is uh, one of the most incredible singers out there. Uh, before that, a little bit of a uh, Kalbach tribute this morning. Many, many, many people are uh, using this Shabbat, the Shabbat before Shlomo Kalbach's yard site, for a Kalbach Shabbos, a Kalbach Shabbaton. Uh, so we uh, tossed in our own uh, a list of Kalbach selections, like uh, Av HaRachamim off of HaNashamalach, you heard Ve'inenu from Nachamu, Boi V'Shalom and, um, oh, Boi V'Shalom from the best of Reb Shlomo Kalbach, Mim Komcha from HaNashamalach, that's his, uh, his first quote-unquote Mim Komcha, which is pretty amazing, and Regesh, of course, Modani opening things up. Here we are on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, and um, again, like I said, uh, this Shabbos, a a very active one in the Jewish world. Uh, there is the Shabbos Project, which I know is taking place in so many different places, and many synagogues and and groups are commemorating it. In addition to that, uh, it uh, being the uh, yard site of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach this coming Wednesday night, many people, many synagogues, many minyanim are utilizing this Shabbat of Lech Lecha, for a Kalbach Shabbos, a Kalbach Shabbaton, to those who, in fact, are going to be gathering together at an Oneg Shabbos tonight, whether it be uh, the Shabbos Project or a Kalbach Shabbos, whatever the case may be, make sure to include some great Kalbach selections. Uh, it is always a um, a wonderful way to remember Shlomo and to uh, gather together and sing some incredible tunes. Uh, Friday morning on this November 11th, it's Veterans Day. We salute the veterans, of course who have uh, fought for our freedom and our ability to live the comfortable lives we do. The tenth day in the month of Mar Cheshvan, it's Erev Shabbos Parshas Lechacha with candle lighting at 421. Now be careful, 421 is candle lighting time. That is much, much, much earlier than anybody has uh, experienced in recent times. So be very careful. Don't want to play around with the Erev Shabbos, obviously, and with the onset of Shabbos. So 4.21 is your candle lighting time. 4.21 on this Erev Shabbos as we get into the earlier Shabbatot of the year. want to take this opportunity to wish a very special Mazel Tov to the uh, Wallach family and the extended Wallach and Mann families. Ezra Wallach's Bar Mitzvah taking place this Shabbat and weekend. We say uh, Mazel Tov to Ezra Wallach. Again, his Bar Mitzvah taking place this Shabbat. Looking forward to celebrating with everybody. It's a great JM in the AM. Nachum Siegel Network Simcha, as we wish a very special Mazel Tov to Miriam L. and Stephen Wallach and the extended Wallach and Mann families from all of us here at JM in the AM. So great Simcha, and we are looking forward to celebrating uh, both over Shabbos and uh, tomorrow night. JM in the AM at 27 minutes before 7 o'clock. Our weekly update just over an hour away. And there's a lot to talk about, as you might imagine, on this Veterans Day. A lot to talk about. 
Uh, keep in mind our transition is getting closer and closer. You want to make sure to be with this radio broadcast and that this radio broadcast is with you every single day, every single morning. Make sure you have the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app on your phone or your iPad. Make sure you have our listen line numbers. You can call up and literally listen to the show or any segment you want as it's happening live. Uh, make sure you have a computer set in your home. Make sure your web radio is able to access JM in the AM. If you have a web radio and you have a radio program in your web radio, if you toss in the words JM and the AM, you should be able to set it easily. All right, so keep that in mind. What other method do we have? Oh, and of course, in your own car, the Bluetooth, auxiliary cable, etc., all the different ways that you could listen in every single day. That's happening December 1st. Make sure you transition with us and that you come along for the uh, amazing ride that we have planned. want to thank uh, our friends over at the JEC and the entire JEC family. Uh, RTMA, Brewery, etc. had a great day there yesterday. Thank all of our incredible hosts who did wonderful programming on our stream, on the network all day yesterday, on the Nachum Siegel Network. And here we are on a Friday morning. Don't forget, Naomi Nachman is coming up uh, at uh, 9 o'clock this morning, right after JM and the AM. Then Kedem presents the incredible Arab Shabbos music mix all through the day, all the way until candle lighting. Try it out. As it seems, from our statistics, a lot of people have been trying it out over the last few weeks, especially on Erev Shabbos and Erev Yom Tov. So try out the Kedem Erev Shabbos music mix. It is the perfect way to get into a uh, into a uh, an early Shabbos, simple as that. All right, we said Mazal Tov to uh, Ezra Wallach on his bar mitzvah. We'll dedicate this selection to him from uh, all of us here at JM in the AM. Gitano bisimcho, Yagalu
מרגיש ולא רואה את התקווה. אם אתה מרגיש את השמיים באפור, אתה הולך קדימה והכל זז לאחור. תקשיב ותראה שלדאוג זה לא שווה, ותרגיש ותפיק, כי את הגופו לא נפסיק. חבל על Thank 
Yeah, hey, say I'm a coin. 
Incredible Birchas Abayas selection from uh, Jakob Shweki. Before that, the uh, Aishas Chayel from Simcha Liner. Jakob Shweki with Chaval Lazman. Shwebel Sharf and Levine had Nigun Yerushalayim. Usher Sharf and Sons with Nafshenu. And this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Veterans Day here in the U.S. Candle lighting at 421, very early compared to what we're used to. 421 is candle lighting time, everybody. 421, keep that in mind. A very early Shabbos compared to what we're used to. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for Friday is next. בוקר טוב מג'יימניהם. נשיא ארצות הברית הנבחר טראמפ צייץ בטוויטר בתגובה על הפגנות האלפים נגדו. הוא אוהב, אני אוהב את העובדה שלקבוצות הקטנות של המפגינים יש כזאת תשוקה למדינתנו הגדולה. אנחנו נתאחד ונתגאה. כך טראמפ. חבר הכנסת אייל בן ראובן אומר כי פוליטיקאים שאומרים שבשל בחירת טראמפ, תם חזון שתי המדינות משקרים לבוחרים. הדבר היחיד שניתן לומר עד כה על טראמפ הוא כי מדובר במנהיג יציב בדעתו המשתנה, אמר בן ראובן באירוע שבת תרבות בגבעתיים והוסיף, מציע לחבריי מימין לחכות עם החגיגות. הלחימה במוסול דאעש הוציא להורג עשרות בני אדם ואחסן חומרים כימיים באזורים מיושבים. כתבנו נתנאל דרשן. על פי דיווח של האו"ם, חומר מסוג אמוניה הוצב במספר מוקדים אזרחיים במוסול וקיים החשש שהארגון יעשה בו שימוש למתקפה כימית. כמו כן, נתגלה קבר אחים ובתוכו כמאה גופות של אזרחים שהוצאו להורג על ידי הארגון. על פי דיווחים, ברחובות מוסול מסתובבים מחבלים עם חגורות נפץ מחשש למתקפה אפשרית של כוחות הקואליציה על העיר. חברת דירוג האשראי פיץ' מעלה את דירוג האשראי של ישראל לרמה של A+, עם תחזית יציבה להמשך. כתבנו תומר ורון. בכך פיץ' מיישרת קו עם שתי הסוכנויות האחרות ומנמקת את החלטתה בהקטנת היקף החובות של ישראל. בסוכנות מציינים כי אירועים גיאופוליטיים עלולים לאיים על יציבות המשק ומוסיפים, על אף שהממשלה נמצאת בהליך אישור של תקציב דו-שנתי, היא עדיין אינה יציבה מספיק ומתחים פוליטיים פנימיים עלולים להוביל לבחירות חדשות בפתאומיות. ראש ממשלת רוסיה מדוודב ביקר במוזיאון לתולדות השואה יד ושם וכתב בספר האורחים אסור שהטרגדיה תחזור על עצמה. הזיכרון של ששת מיליון היהודים שנספו בשואה מהווה דוגמה נוראה לאדישות ולפשעים של המאה העשרים. הזיכרון הזה צריך להיות חקוק בתולדות האנושות לנצח. כך מדוודב. כתבתנו הלל שחר מציינת כי ראש ממשלת רוסיה צפוי לבקר ביריחו ולהיפגש עם יושב ראש הרשות אבו מאזן ובערב ימריא בחזרה למוסקבה. ראש הממשלה נתניהו ספד לזמר והיוצר היהודי קנ... קנדי ליאונרד כהן שהלך לעולמו הלילה בגיל 82 וכתב כי הוא היה יוצר ענק, אומן מוכשר ויהודי חם שאהב את עם ישראל ומדינת ישראל. קודם לכן סיפר עליו הנשיא ריבלין כי היה האיש שידע בשורה אחת במחברתו להנהיג ולעצב את עולמו של אדם יותר מכל נאום שאי פעם נכתב. 
והתחזית מחר, עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות, יעשה חם מרגיל ויבש. אלה החדשות שעורכת אביגיל אושי ביטנר, בצוות רינת גיימן ועידו גרינברג. J.M. and the A.M. Nigun Simcha with Moshe Laufer and company. Big Simcha for the um, for J.M. and the A.M. and the Nachum Siegel Network family, as I mentioned earlier. want to wish a mazel tov to Ezra Wallach. Ezra Wallach is uh, celebrating his bar mitzvah 
this coming Shabbos, Lech Lecha. We say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM and the AM to uh, Miriam L. and Stephen Wallach. And the entire extended Wallach and Mann family is a very special Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM and the AM. Getting ready to celebrate the big Simcha on this uh, Shabbos uh, Parshas Lech Lecha. And we say Mazal Tov. And we should all continue to celebrate Smachot together. And uh, keep in mind, everybody, candle lighting at 421 on this Erev Shabbos. 421, much earlier than any of us are used to. If you're trying to contact people in Israel, <laughs> which many of us are doing, um, keep in mind that Shabbos there is going to start just around uh, around the time when it's 9 o'clock uh, in that area uh, here in the U.S., in the Eastern Time Zone. So keep that. Lots to keep in mind when it's an early Shabbos, huh? Lots to keep in mind. It's also the Shabbos before Shlomo Kalbach's yard site in many, many shuls around the world. It is a big Kalbach Shabbos with many great Kalbach selections. Enjoy it, no matter where you are. Uh, enjoy all the um, all the uh, Kalbach themed get-togethers this coming Shabbat as we lead up to our 24 hours of Kalbach, which will be presented starting on Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time till Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Nachum Siegel Network. Speaking of which, someone asked on um, on our app this morning, on the uh, NSN app, they asked about the uh, listen line. So there may be a little bit of confusion regarding the Bluetooth and the listen line. Um, if you want to know about Bluetooth for your car and you're not familiar with it, obviously you want to speak to somebody who's uh, in the younger generation. And they'll take care of it for you. Speak to somebody in the younger, younger generation. They'll actually install it for you. That's what I've learned. <laughs> so um, so Bluetooth is something that you could utilize, certainly, to listen to us in your automobile. You want to make sure to ask somebody about that. In terms of a listen line where you could listen anywhere around the world at any time, for instance, if you want to hear what's happening at 10 minutes after 7 o'clock uh, on a JM and AM Friday, you would simply, right now, pick up the phone and call 605 605- Five six two forty four hundred. Again, that's six zero five five six two forty four hundred. And I suggest that you keep this number handy so you always know how you can call in and listen, or put it on your speakerphone and just let it roll in your car, whatever the case is. So six zero five five six two forty four hundred. If you want to hear the weekly update, you could call in at that time seven forty this morning. If you want to hear about Yudin, you can call in at that time eight fifteen this morning. If you want to um, hear what the, what's going on with Naomi Nachman, you can call at 9 o'clock this morning and hear that show. Anytime you want to hear anything going on in our network, you can just check in by dialing that number, 605-562-4400. That's what we refer to as our listen line. Simple as that. Friday morning broadcast. More coming up here at JM in the AM. A weekly update at 740 Eastern Time this morning.
JM and the AM. Leviathan with Dror Yikra. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos on this uh, Friday morning candlelighting at 421. Veterans Day in the United States. We salute the veterans and encourage everybody to thank all the veterans who have made sure to fight for the freedom and democracy and the luxury, frankly, that we all enjoy here in the United States of America. <clears throat> 49 degrees with sunny weather and uh, windy conditions and a high temperature of 60. Getting cold tonight. Clear in 35 for tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then tomorrow, sunshine with a high temperature, 52 degrees. Well, our friends up at MTA, Yeshiva University High Schools, uh, are going to uh, welcome everybody to their big open house this coming Sunday. Doors will open at 9 o'clock. The actual open house will start at 9.30. They'll be parking up at the Yeshiva University parking lots on 182nd and 183rd Streets. If you go online, you could register. And, um, well, it's no secret to this audience that by uh, Josh Kahn, who is now the uh, head of school uh, leader up at uh, the Marsha Stern Talmudical Academy, Yeshiva University High School for Boys, MTA, uh, is a, a wonderful dear friend of ours for many, many years. We had some incredible years together at the TABC. He is now the head of school up at MTA, and from what we hear, he has gotten off to an incredible start, and he is with us to not only discuss the history as MTA, uh, I believe, approaches 100 years, but also to discuss uh, what some of the parents can expect this coming Sunday. Rabbi Josh Khan, an honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, so where are we in terms of history? Is it already 100? Is it approaching 100? What's happening with MTA? So this is our centennial celebration, meaning we're celebrating that we opened our doors 100 years ago, wow. just a couple months ago, I believe it was September 3rd, 1916. Wow. So we just passed the 100-year mark, and this is really a celebration of 100 years. And as you said in your introductory remarks, part of the beauty of this opportunity is really, you know, on the one hand, to reflect on the rich history and the pioneering attitude that Yeshiva University High Schools had in opening its doors in 1916, really setting a standard and a bar for Jewish education, while at the same time using it as a reflection point in terms of where we're headed for the next hundred years, allowing it to help shape uh, and frame our vision in the future. So it's a great pivot point for us to appreciate all that we've done, the innovation that we led a hundred years ago, and the innovation we continue to look forward to leading now, how we adjust Jewish education for the adolescents of today. And by the way, and not that this is really your area to discuss, so don't, don't feel the pressure to, to get into detail about this, but I think it has to be acknowledged. Anybody out there, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, who has enjoyed the incredible success of Yeshiva College and Stern College, of all the graduate schools, all the specialty schools, etc., of Yeshiva University, it, it all began essentially with the high school. Correct. It's 100% true, and you know, in some of the events we've had already, I've had the opportunity to share remarks and comments with, uh, with an audience. And when you look around at that audience, I'd have to imagine at least three-quarters, if not more, of the people sitting there have, you know, been touched by the Yeshiva University community, or more specifically, really, the Yeshiva University high school community. Yeah. We're trying to come up with, uh, you know, a map in terms of where our graduates have leadership positions. Because, you know, over 100 years, most of the, or at least many of the, Jewish education or Jewish professional lay leadership positions are occupied right. by graduates of MTA. And just to see how the community has spawned off so many leaders and, and so many people have had a profound impact on the broader Jewish community. Oh, no question. And taking the point even further, and I, I am a case in point because I'm not an MTA graduate, uh, if I've enjoyed and have benefited from Yeshiva College, and believe you me, I've said it a million times, people know it, uh, then obviously, again, its roots 
are are with uh, the MTA High School. All right, Rabbi Khan, congratulations. Uh, you are the uh, new head of school. Uh, from what I hear, the brand new school year is off to a great start. Did did you walk in in your own mind with a specific mandate, a specific mission? Obviously, the school has had tremendous success, but you, as a as somebody who uh, who comes in uh, fresh and new, you want to you know leave your mark, so to speak, and 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 look at it a little bit uh, uh, you know in the bigger picture and figure out what direction you want to go in. Have you walked in with any specific uh, guidelines or mandates that uh, you know that have started out the brand new school year. So it's a great question. I've really walked in with first and foremost an opportunity to ask questions. You know, starting from my appointment in March, I had the opportunity to meet with so many different stakeholders at MTA. Uh, the students, obviously, I think, are the heart and soul of our yeshiva. I had an opportunity to meet with each of the grades, including the students that just graduated and are off in Israel this year, and to hear, to ask questions, hear their perspective hear uh, what's been going on in their experience, uh, meet with different groups of parents, faculty members, the administration, uh, and, and really help take all of the ideas and suggestions they have to, to work, to weave it together into a meaningful vision. Uh, I consider myself really privileged to walk into MTA to join it at a strong point, you know, and, and that credit goes to the, the leadership team at MTA, Ray Taubis, who is, you know, my predecessor's head of school right. and has remained uh, very involved as the Rosh Yeshiva at MTA, uh, as well as Dr. Taylor, our general studies principal, Larry Schenker, our associate principal, Ray Green, our dean of student life, Shui Jacoby, our executive director, uh, and, and really to sit down together with them and collaborate on a vision in terms of where we see uh, MTA continuing to grow. You know, I really look at it as reflection and progression because every good high school, every good organization is always looking at how we can build on our strengths and make sure that we continue to grow. So I didn't come in saying, this is exactly what we do. I came in asking questions and saying, let's think together about what we could do. We're really lucky to, that the university is so supportive of us, and really the credit for that goes to President Joel and uh, Dr. Josh Joseph, the senior vice president, who made sure that you know, we're able to, to stand alone as the Yeshiva High School and function as the Yeshiva High School should, while at the same time, having incredible resources of the university at our disposal without any of the bureaucracy that could exist in such a big organization. And, and I'm very appreciative to Rabbi Dr. Joseph and to President Joel. And uh, the board, led by our board chair, Mrs. Miriam Goldberg, has really come in and said to me, we're not telling you what to do. We're not telling you what you have to make MTA. We're here to support you. We're here to make sure that you have all the resources necessary you know, in order to have a vision and uh, we look forward to partnering with you on that vision. So really, you know, it's only support and only guidance, only good sounding boards from people uh, to work together to make sure that we're, you know, continuing to dream and think about what we can accomplish. Yeah, look, look, transitions can be difficult, but they certainly can be very exciting, and it sounds like yours has been just that. Okay, what do people need to know about Sunday? Anybody who wants to search information about the open house, they could just literally search MTAYU open house. It all pops up. We, re- we already tried that. Uh, what do people need to know about Sunday and the program that uh, is set for the uh, MTA open house? Well, as you mentioned, parking is available. We right. want to make this as user-friendly for all of the visitors. Uh, we're really excited by the fact that we're at a very high in terms of uh, the pre-registration already you know, our numbers are, are well higher than previous years, which says to us there's a lot of excitement about MTA, there's a lot of excitement about the open house, and they should come excited to hear about the things going on in MTA, an open mind, ready to learn about all the, uh, all the programs, incredible education, the warmth, the personal attention that exists, uh, the individualized 
education that really we're, we're working very hard to continue to cultivate and to develop so each student has an incredible experience at MTA and, uh, you know, to share in that learning process with us. Uh, everyone's invited. Uh, this coming Sunday, doors will open at 9. The program begins at 9.30. It's an open house up at Yeshiva University High School, up at MTA. The uh, complimentary parking at 182nd, 183rd. You mentioned the pre-registration is doing well. People could literally register online, and you'd prefer they do that, right? It would be better if today, at some point, parents would do that. Yes, it's always helpful to know uh, what to expect to be able to plan as best as possible. But certainly, even if you don't pre-register... We welcome you to join us Sunday morning. All right, and as I said, people could literally search it online, MTAYU Open House. It'll pop up. If you want, to, if you want the address, I'm on, folks. It's yuhsb.org, Yeshiva University High School for Boys, yuhsb.org slash admissions, and you'll see all the information about this coming Sunday's Open House. Rabbi Khan, always a pleasure speaking to you. Continued success in this brand-new venture for you. And Mazal Tov on 100 years of MTA. Like I said, it's a significant milestone, not just for the yeshiva, but really for the greater Jewish community. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Uh, there he is, Rabbi Josh Khan. Oh, and Rabbi Khan, a special, uh, special best regards to Dr. Taylor, who I was colleagues with uh, years ago, and uh, I believe has been an amazing asset for many, many years up at MTA. Arab Shabbos on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM and the AM on this Veterans Day as we salute veterans and thank them for fighting and, in many cases, falling for democracy, for freedom, and for the luxury that we enjoy in this incredible country of ours. Candlelighting at 421. That's early. That is early. You want to make sure on this Arab Shabbos that you're not used to it being this early, or we're not used to it being this early. You want to make sure to... Um, to um, be where you need to be by 421. Let's put it that way. Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday morning starting at 7 a.m. on the Nahum Siegel Network. Matis Weingast hosts JM Sunday, 7 a.m. this coming Sunday on the Nahum Siegel Network. Make sure to check it out tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami after Shabbos. Naomi Nachman at 9 o'clock this morning on our stream, on our network, starting at 9 a.m. You could literally use that listen line. 605-562-4400 to listen in. You can also use the listen line all day long for Erev Shabbos selections brought to you by our wonderful uh, people, our wonderful friends at Kedem. Uh, you could literally call the number all the way until candlelighting time and just hear great Erev Shabbos music. And uh, that's 605-562-4400. And it's a uh, Kalbach Erev Shabbos because Rabbi Shlomo's yard site is this coming Wednesday night. So um, make sure to uh, listen in and here are all the great selections. Malcolm Honline will be joining us. Our weekly update is minutes away in a very interesting week in this world, that's for sure. That's coming up here at JM in the AM.
in the AM with Lech Lecha. It's from Diaspora here at JM in the AM. Yehuda Green's Nishmas before that, 735, candle lighting at 421. It's Veterans Day. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Weekly update coming up with Malcolm Honline. Speak to them about the events of this week. Our Jewish Unity Initiative heads to Venice. We're presenting the uh, Jewish music concert featuring Itzik Dadia and Daniela Haviel for the Jewish community of Venice and beyond broadcasting from Venice, Italy in the 500-year commemoration of the Venetian ghetto uh, Monday and Tuesday, the 21st and 22nd of November. So I'll have details as we get closer and closer in terms of that. Oh, I wanted to take this opportunity. I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, oh, by the way, um, 
I've already received, and I'm sure it's going to be all over social media. You know, there's always, whenever world events go a certain way, there's always some type of, um, there's always some type of text or photo or both that goes, uh, that starts going around the world in terms of those who've predicted this in the past. So I've already gotten it. For those who are out there and know what I'm referring to, I've already received it. So you don't have to send it to me. But uh, I'm sometimes overcome with the fascination that people have with the coincidence, quote-unquote, of what has been written in the past and then how it relates to events of today. Um, Don't mean to sound skeptical, but um, it makes you wonder. Anyway, again, for those who uh, have already seen it, you know exactly what I'm referring to. Otherwise, chances are, if you haven't seen it yet, you will, as people start spreading... uh, spreading around the different things that uh, were either said or predicted, quote-unquote, years ago that now this week suddenly have come true. I wanted to take this opportunity and wish a mazel tov to Robert Hecht and the entire Hecht family on Staten Island. I mentioned yesterday that the president of the New Springville Jewish Center is Robert Hecht, and they have welcomed me with open arms for so many years, each and every Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And on Sunday is the grand opening of West Shore Lighting. West Shore Lighting has its grand opening this coming Sunday from 11 a.m. until 5 p.m., with brand name lighting and a whole uh, uh, array of food and drinks to celebrate the occasion. So it's this coming Sunday, the grand opening of West Shore Lighting at 600 Gulf Avenue in Staten Island. Go on by, say hello to the Hecht family, a special hello to Robert Hecht, who's the president of the New Springville Jewish Center, and we take this opportunity to wish him a very special mazel tov on this occasion of the grand opening of West Shore Lighting. Friday morning, JM in the AM with sunshine and windy weather and a high temperature of 60. Great weekend programming, of course, on the Nahum Siegel Network at all times. Keep that in mind, including JM Sunday with Matis, which is coming up this coming Sunday. We mentioned that a lot of people are having a Kalbach Shabbos this Shabbos because the yard side of Reb Shlomo Kalbach is this, um, is this coming Wednesday night. That's when we start our 24 hours of Kalbach this coming Wednesday night. So I am going to take this opportunity and uh, play a Shlomo Kalbach selection, as many people are getting ready for a Kalbach Shabbos. Uh, this is for you, courtesy of JM in the AM.
Jam in the AM weekly update is coming up on this Friday morning. Doing some Shlomo Kalbach selections before we get to our weekly update as we have the uh, Kalbach Shabbos going on for so many places, so many synagogues and the Minyanim uh, over Shabbat because of this coming Wednesday night at Shlomo Kalbach's yard site. And that is how many people commemorate it. So we'll get to our weekly update coming up as soon as uh, Malcolm Honline is ready to uh, speak with us about the events of this week right here at JM in the AM. the uh, Kalbach Shabbatot and Ongei Shabbat that are taking place this week as uh, we commemorate Shlomo Kalbach and his yard site on the 24 hours of Kalbach starting this Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time till Thursday 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Nahum Siegel Network, his yard site this coming Thursday. Candle lighting at 421, much earlier than any of us are used to, so be careful. 421 is candle lighting time on this Veterans Day on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Lech Lecha. I remind everybody out there, first of all, a big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. JewishWorldReview.com. They've got a million articles. You can imagine how many they got now about what's happening in this crazy world of ours. Print them out before Shabbos and enjoy, and we thank them for continuously recommending the Nahum Siegel Network to their readers. Uh, also, a big thank you to OnlySimchas.com, who continue to use our content and material for their incredible live news feed, which is offering amazing material each and every day. We thank them very, very much. Thank you, OnlySimchas.com. And uh, I remind you that um, uh, the 50th anniversary of the uh, reunification of Jerusalem is coming up May the 24th of 2017. We are going to be there with World Mizrahi. Um, Rabbi Peretz was here last week in our studio. Actually, he was here this week in our studio. Last week he was on the air with us by phone. And we are getting set for the um, uh, the big journey to Yerushalayim, as so many people from around the world will be heading to Yerushalayim for the 50th anniversary. Again, it's May the 24th, the 28th of ER of 2017. Get details by uh, going to the World Mizrahi website. You can go to the World Mizrahi website. They have all the details of what they're offering in terms of the um, in terms of the trip. And I remind you that our transition is getting closer and closer. If you have not yet uh, done what you need to do, install the Nahum Siegel Network app, uh, gotten your computer to uh, uh locked in the listen line to your telephone at 605-562-4400, um, arranged in your car your Bluetooth or your auxiliary cable, web radio, any of the programs on web radio, if you search JM in the AM, you will get our stream and it can blast through your house every single morning. 
There are a lot of options, a lot of platforms, and there'll be more down the road, by the way. Um, so just make sure you're ready. The transition is coming up December the 1st. In terms of the weekly update schedule, we are not on the air next week with a weekly update. I will be on the air, but not doing the weekly update. I will be, uh, will already be in Venice with the Jewish Unity Initiative. The big Venice trip, as you know, with a broadcast on the 21st and 22nd. So we'll already be there next Shabbat with the Jewish Unity Initiative in Venice. The following week, which is the Friday of Thanksgiving weekend, we will reconvene for the weekly update. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us each week on Friday with the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. I appreciate that. Before we get to the election and a lot of things that people um, are, are curious about, we should take a minute uh, regarding the life of Yaffa Eliach. Uh, you are one who is always demanding, rightfully so, that the Jewish world remember the past while at the same time always looking to the present and future. Uh, Yaffa Eliach was uh, Dr. Eliach. Uh, was an important figure in all of that. I thought that we'd ask you for a word about her life as we start out this Friday morning. Uh, absolutely. I think for, for many people, especially young people, don't know her. Uh, I would hope that they would go and look at some of her work and uh, her role at the Holocaust Museum with the portraits, uh, personalizing the show, um, bringing home the message uh, from the abstract of Six Million to the individuals who who were involved. And her voice was an extremely credible one, uh, and she was an articulate uh, spokesperson uh, on the on the Shoah, but bringing it in, in a contemporary sense for young people, both at Yeshiva Flatbush and speaking all over the world. Israel, I had the occasion to be with her many times on different fora, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's a great loss uh, to her family, but to everyone. Yeah, no question about it. Somebody who is a worldwide figure, and as you just said, really took the task and uh, and uh, did what she wanted to do very, very well. Um, the, okay, so the, we, we know the story of the week, obviously. We're going to have a new president of the United States of America as of January the 20th, and that'll be Donald Trump. Um, everybody, I would think everybody who was believing the media reports, most people, I shouldn't say everybody, because I, I, I live with some people who were not surprised by the results, <laughs> but, but most people, I think, were a bit surprised by the way things went. Uh, what was your reaction? Well, we'll ask you, as everyone's curious, as you can imagine, our app is going crazy with questions about the transition and what you think about certain elements, but what do you think about the result itself? How shocked were you by what happened on Tuesday night? Well, I think for for uh, people who are political junkies like us and for uh, those who try to understand the dynamic of American society, this is going to be studied for a long time. There are so many factors here, and I've spoken to many of the major pollsters, the analysts, uh, from literally the afternoon of the election until uh, last night, and I keep getting new insights and new information about what, uh, why they got it all wrong, and what the dynamic inside American electric, electorate seems to be, that this was not about the candidates, it was about the voters, and the, the, the number of voters that turned out, the number of voters who did not fill in a top line, right. that more than half of, of the supporters of both candidates, major candidates, had negative views of them. And the the uh, the totality of the statistics that in, in Michigan, I think it, uh, someone told me that uh, 100,000 people didn't fill in the top line 
uh, in the last election, 300,000 people didn't this time. If you remember, the margin was a fraction of that. Mm -hmm. So people were not turned on. I think the bitterness of the campaign, the fact that that you could have almost $2 billion spent by the Democrats and a far lesser amount by the Republicans, uh, that the media's distortions and some things that appear to be uh, lies, whether they were fed to them or concocted, like the surge and the other things that were reported that seem not to have been true. Yeah. But as as uh, Frank Luntz told me, he said he, he never remembers that the, the, the how the exit polls keep giving such bad information. As you know, we always joke that in Israeli elections, the exit polling and the polling done before an election always proves to be wrong because they tell the truth to the pollsters and lie at the polls. Right. Well, the American people seem to have learned from them. It's interesting because I, I always thought, even with the sentiment that, you know, that so many people were saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my nose as I vote, I'm going to vote for the, you know, for the lesser of two evils, all the different expressions that people had in describing the way they were going to go to the polls, I always thought that in the end, even with that, they'd vote for a major candidate. Then as Tuesday was going on, and people are contacting me about write-in votes that they were casting, and people I know really well on third-party votes that they were casting, and really red people, really red people, who were considering no, not voting for the Republican, all of a sudden I said, my gosh, this is, this is very different as you just described. And but he, touched, he touched an agra, and I think that this for us, for the Jewish community, is something you know, we should be concerned about the, the Jews, it seems, by all those studies that I've seen, voted 70% for uh, right. Clinton, which is in keeping, general keeping with past uh, uh, elections. Mm-hmm. But, and I think more and more, it, it was concern about uh, some of the things that were said in the in the attitudes. But the, the real story here is the anger of common people, of regular people, and not in one simple demographic. And I think the, the it's not going to dissipate this anger, and you see it in some of the demonstrations now, which I think are just politically motivated, and people, and on the other hand, an expression of frustration on the part of people. But the anger that that exists, the the uh, alienation from government and officials, is something that that should be concerned when you have this kind of of uh, unrest in society. It's not a good thing, and I hope that. There can be a some sense of unity, be some real actions taken, and I hope early on to address the employment questions, the economic issues, the challenges that people are facing. So it brings the country back together. Oh, no question, it's a long road ahead, and as you said, anger on both sides, and it's just uh, people are wary about what's going to be happening over the next few weeks. By the way, you sort of touched on this, and I was going to ask this later on, but I'll, I'll ask you now. You know, there are people who are somewhat concerned. Uh, that those who are harboring anti-Semitic feelings in this country are now feeling a bit more comfortable. Is there anything to that? Would you say there's anything post-election, post-Trump victory to worry about in that regard? I, I think the dynamic is one to worry about. I think that and and there, whether they feel a license now to give more public expression is something we will have to measure. The, some of them, obviously, in the campaign, uh, did. And, and were vocal about it. But I think the longer-term implication, and, uh, you know, David Duke got less than 3% of the vote in Louisiana. It was a concerted effort um, um, to, to keep his, to, 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 to make sure he did not do well, not because they thought he would win, 
but because they want to repudiate this kind of this point of view and the, the there were a lot there was a lot of money sunk into to campaigns to defeat for instance uh NIAC, the which is many people describe as uh, some sort of front for the Iranians and it has very prominent people and it targeted those who voted against the JCPOA against the Iran deal mm. well they failed and you know everybody virtually everybody I think there were 25 or more in the house alone and all but one got elected reelected and that one was not because of the Iran issue the senate as well and you know many great friends of the of Israel and of the great senators were up for reelection and unfortunately Kirk lost in right. Illinois but we knew that from the right. virtually from the start and Kelly Ayat came within 700 votes out of 700,000 which, as you always remind people, why it's important to vote, that mm-hmm. a few more people having switched their votes, you know, 351 people voting the other way, Kelly would have been elected. Right. Um, so the the messages here there are are many that uh, people, you know, were citing the power of J Street when the vast majority of people they backed, almost all, were defeated. Right. So there are a lot of... Uh, dynamics here. There, there's a lot of things that we will have to interpret in the future. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org and of course on the NSN app. Reminder, schedule-wise, there's no weekly update next week. We'll be in the midst of our Jewish Unity Initiative mission to Venice, Italy. Uh, it'll return the weekly update two weeks from today on the Friday of Thanksgiving weekend. And again, a reminder that we are uh, making, uh, we are, we are getting closer and closer to our big transition. If you have not yet installed the Nahum Siegel Network app or arranged for your computer uh, to access our NahumSiegel.com website, or if you've not yet gotten your web radio and tuned it in, if you have not yet written down the listen line at 605-562-4400, 605-562-4400, Make sure to do so. All right, Malcolm, you know what most people want to hear uh, us discuss this morning. That's all of this, of course, vis-a-vis Israel. Uh, the initial reaction of Prime Minister Netanyahu to Trump's victory. Very positive. Uh, they had a very good conversation. He also spoke to Hillary Clinton. And I think that you will see continuity in terms of pro-Israel positions. And they, we will see who will get the, get, be put into key posts. But the Vice President Pence has a very, very strong pro-Israel record. And the talk of, of a Gingrich or John Bolton and others who are, are known supporters, uh, I, I think that the uh, likelihood is that you'll have uh, people who are very favorable. I think also though, that you get, the, the, in essence, the continuity. How this will play out in the next weeks, what President Obama decides to do, given all the rumors of possible U.N. actions or other things, whether the French will now see that their initiative and that we're going to get U.S. support. It didn't till now, and I'd say Secretary Kerry did oppose it. Uh, I think in the general Middle East, President Sisi was the first foreign leader to reach out, and they are talking in much more optimistic terms. And it's interesting that clearly all sides want to see the United States uh, get back in and, and take a more active role, a more visible role. The, the Palestinians complained uh, were not happy with the outcome and uh, expressed it. But, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I think those who are who are looking for the real estate for the new embassy should take it a little slow. Actually, I think they have they own land 
in, in Jerusalem for an embassy. Whether, in fact, the embassy gets moved is, uh, I think, less certain. The intent may be there, but it, reality uh, often uh, supersedes intent. You know, you know the perfect day for it to happen, right? Yes, on the, on the Jerusalem 50. Correct. That would be amazing. 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. And we have many opportunities this year, the 100th anniversary of Balfour, the 70th anniversary of the partition. We have uh, got a lot of uh, good occasions coming up where we should be reminded of the history generally. But I think, uh, you know, Congress is going to be very strong. The people will remain, uh, many of the chair people at Royce and with his Democratic counterpart, Elliot Engel, who have been really a model team in bipartisan cooperation in the House as well, the Senate as well. Um, so we'll see what they will do in regard to the Iran legislation, uh, certainly in withholding Iran uh, more accountable. And we saw the, the, the Iranian reaction was not uh, favorable. Who else besides Iran and the PA? Was there anybody else on the other side of the ledger in terms of not being in favor of the result? Are not happy with the result? Well, there was a lot of European uh, skepticism and, and negative comments and reflected in their stock exchanges. The, initially, the reaction in Asia uh, because of uh, you know the protectionist policy. But no Middle Eastern country outside of Iran would express uh, publicly their dissatisfaction with the result? And the PA, of course. No. no that, that I know of, I don't, I don't recall anybody else uh, coming out with a... So, that, negative so that's interesting. The Iranians had a lot to say on it. Yeah, as the specter of Iran, you know, hangs over the Middle East, and there's so many countries, as you've described for us, so detailed in the last couple of years, who fear Iran. Um, the, 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 I mean, they must be thrilled with the result and are, are very hopeful that actually something can be, uh, you know, can be changed in the Middle East in their favor. They're hopeful for a reset, and, and it's one of the things that we've talked about, and that I saw whenever I visit Arab countries and meet with Arab uh, leaders here, that the the sense of American disengagement, the, that the, some of the emphasis of American policy, uh, that that will there will be a reset of of sorts, and that there will be uh, a different attitude, a more emphasis on holding Iran accountable. We, we saw again this week so many things that, that Iran is doing. They, they are admitting now, just in the last few hours, that they provided the missile technology to Hezbollah, just as they said they were militarily involved in Gaza, and uh, provided the missiles to the Houthis. They, they, they are telling it. We know that there was another violation now of the uh, JCPOA in regard to the, the exceeding the heavy water allotment. This is the second time they did it in February, and they did it now. And the United States' reaction in the first one was to, to not only not to punish them, but we, we bought the excess. So they, we, we claimed that we needed it, but uh, it's incentivizing Iran to keep uh, overproducing, as they did, because they're getting money for it. And it, and it mainstreams Iran as a nuclear supplier, uh, even though they remain a global proliferation pariah in violating the missile and arms embargoes and many other things. So the, this story, which did not get much coverage because of the, you know, election. emphasis on the election, post-election results, um, is of concern because the the spokesman for the State Department said, "I won't use the V word." You know what the V word is? What? Violation. Mm. He would not say that this was a violation mm. because it's a violation. Then it, it introduces sanctions, and because they don't want to sanction Iran, so they the the. You know, they don't want to use the term that might trigger the need for them 
uh, to take a, 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 a stronger uh, uh, stand. And they talked about um, uh, many other aspects in terms of uh, the Houthi missiles, the Zalzal two that they provide, about uh, the, the deals they signed with Total, a $4.8 billion deal for the development of the PARS uh, fields, the, um, uh, the, the, the deployment of IRGC, to, to Aleppo and elsewhere, and the recruitment of, of new forces, and trying to uh, position themselves in regard to Mosul, where they're being challenged, by the way, by Turkey, that also wants to position itself, each one supporting and training uh, their counterpart the militias, uh, Sunni and Shiite militias. Hmm. Uh, there's so much involved, and, and the hope is that Iran will at least be held to account for the deal. I don't think they're going to be able to scrap the JCPOA so quickly. That, well, that isn't going to happen. But that, why is there an impression then among media pundits that at least a significant part of the quote-unquote Iran deal can be eliminated by executive order? It can be. It's not binding. And you remember we talked about this at the time of the vote, that, that because they pulled the maneuver of the 60 votes, rather than signing a, a treaty or a deal that, that would be binding with future administrations, you know, it's the keystone of democracies that... What I mean, one administration does. I mean, it's the only foreign policy honored by the other. It's the only foreign policy issue that he ran on. Doesn't he have no choice but to do something about it in the first month? So that's what I said. That I think that it's it's not a question of scrapping the deal because then Iran will not be restricted in the production of uranium. Right. Even though we believe that they may well be cheating on it, but um, uh, and I hope that more we done to help strengthen the people in Iran who want democracy, who want to get rid of this regime. Uh, and that the the um, there's a lot they can do without totally scrapping the deal, but holding just hold them to account on it. Don't allow them to do all these provocative actions, I aggression, etc. I understand that, but you know the electorate that cares about foreign policy needs him to display some type of action. That I agree. Some, I'm saying there will be action. I understand, I, but the it's action, just a question but of the, definition and the terms that I see people but the using. Act, but the I action, don't want to raise expectations for things. I understand that, that may not but happen. The, but, but the, the action that the other things do happen. But the action that you're describing is not a headlines grabbing. Part of the Iran deal has been eliminated. That's what I'm saying. I think that I think that the foreign policy concern in this country I think needs that at this point. If it, if he's going to make sure to uh, you know strengthen the uh, the violations and the uh, supervision of the Iranians, that's great. But I don't think that's going to do it. No, that's not. No, no. I'm saying much more than that. I'm saying that I want to see Iran held to account. I'm, I'm, th- those are only the, the preliminary efforts in regard within the confines of the deal. We're talking about far beyond it. We should not be restricted to the JCPOA. I want to see really tough sanctions. You know, the sanctions legislation is coming up again. We should be seeing a whole slew of new restrictions placed on them and that the international community understand, businesses understand that they'll be held to account or money, for dealing with a money laundering country, countries supporting terrorism. Which, as you know, Secretary Kerry played down, and then, and but the Treasury Department has been very strong on. There's many things that we can do vis-a-vis Iran today. Doesn't mean that we have to challenge the international community or, or, or put the, the administration and eventually replace the JCPOA with something that is more demanding and more uh, really holds Iran to account. That's what we have to do, and do it in really tough measures on their human rights record. There's so many aspects where Iran is culpable and where they have not been exposed and the, the, their role throughout the region and around the world. Now it's time to hold them to account and that those who, in the administration who have lobbied against these efforts 
will hopefully see that, that we can do it, we can do it effectively, and we can bring the rest of the world with us, whether they like it or not. The United States Congress is now going to be Republican on both sides, on the Senate right. side and the House side. We know, as you've described to us a million times, that there is generally a pro-Israel sentiment in the United States Congress. We now know that there's going to be a new administration. We're sort of familiar with the makeup of the administration and what its policies are starting on January the 20th. Isn't this a unique opportunity when it comes to issues like aid for Israel, when it comes to issues like a, a commitment uh, about, the, uh, about the embassy moving to Jerusalem, when it, it, a situation arises in terms of sanctions with Iran, when, 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 a, uh, when strength is needed now in dealing with Arab nations who are neighbors of Israel, isn't this a unique opportunity for the administration to work together with Congress to move things, move all those things in a positive direction? Absolutely. And my hope is that it's exactly what we'll see, that they, they, will be, they should move quickly on both the domestic and international fronts to, get, to have credibility, because you have two years till you have a House election. Right. Nobody, they have no excuses now because they control all three bodies. And I think the efforts to reach out to the leadership that the, uh, the president-elect did was important. Uh, and I hope he will do it uh, bipartisan basis, be able to bring along the support of Democrats and, and create a record and show what can be done when, when you have the leadership and you, you, you bring along both sides. It's not never easy. It's not, there's no uh, unanimity. is never going to happen. But the issues you cite, and, and we should focus on what is really important. I think uh, looking at some aspects of the uh, memo of understanding that was reached will be will be looked at, uh, and the the nature of the strategic relationship. And uh, people are talking about uh, you know a relationship the BB uh, the Israel Egypt maybe Russia U.S. working together to to reset some of the things in the Middle East. We have a tinderbox. We have there isn't a single country in the Middle East other than Israel that is not on the brink. That isn't a volatile, and uh, America has not played a, a leadership role. And we've seen many of the countries moving into Putin's orbit or developing ties and moving outside of uh, the U.S. sphere of influence because, uh, although they want to be with the U.S., because they felt that they were ignored or, or this was not a priority and, and, and were not attended to. So I think Sisi being the first to speak to the president and other Arab states reaching out is because they are really anxious to see this kind of reset, and that might help move forward a process in the Middle East where the Palestinians see that that stalling and uh, you know constant uh, the, the lying and, and the incitement it's got to end, and that there's a, there is a, a new era coming. Um, the official, I mean, you alluded to it just now, official Russian reaction, official uh, Putin reaction to the uh, election of Trump, I assume, was positive? It was positive, and Medvedev, the president was in, in uh, uh, the prime minister was in Israel uh, this week. Uh, I, I don't think we should be uh, looking for an extended honeymoon, but I do think that there can be, and because of the relationship during the uh, election process um, I think everybody would want to see Russia and the US to the degree possible cooperate whether it's in Syria whether it's in other areas and to to offset the extremists who are gaining in in, in these areas that uh, that are uh, uh, some sort of a more cooperative 
relationship can emerge. Um, the um I was just going to ask you about certain other people and how they reacted to the to the uh, to the vote. He's surrounded by certain people, meaning the president elect, surrounded by certain people who have a real track record when it comes to the PA and the you know the uh, predecessors of PA leadership, referring of course to Rudy Giuliani. Uh, <laughs> that that could be a, a big influence on him in the White House. I would think Rudy would have a tremendous say at this point after all that. Uh, or as some people say, you know, he's one of the big winners of the week, so to speak. Also, someone mentioned to me yesterday that Pence, the vice president elect, could have a tremendous influence. You just described it earlier in this conversation. I, I don't think we as a community realize how pro Israel he is and what his attitude has been. Obviously, you working closely with him uh, and uh, and others in Washington, you know, are more familiar with it. And um, I, I would wonder what type of uh, person he would, in fact, choose to be Secretary of State. You you just said in, earlier in this conversation on the list of names you provided, you mentioned John Bolton. Is that somebody who you think he'd consider for a position like that? I do, and I do think that Bolton will end up in a key position, uh, assuming he's offered it. I think that uh, the, the speculation about Gingrich, I don't know if he really wants to go into government, but he's certainly... A name that has been uh, bandied about, Huckabee. Um, you know, it's a question of who wants to be in and what position they get. But I think you're going to see uh, potentially many favorable people, uh, as you described them. And yeah, I mean, we would certainly describe them. But uh, your reference to Mike Pence is important, and I mentioned it yeah, earlier. Right. Uh, Mike Pence is not a guy. Who, he's not a flashy guy who who tries to. Um, advertises pro-Israel position, though he articulates it and makes it very clear, because it's something he deeply believes. He's an evangelical Christian. He's somebody who has a long track record of being very strongly pro-Israel and did a, uh, if you saw the thing on the internet that he did, where he talked about the position of uh, the president-elect and vice president-elect uh, vis-a-vis Israel. Right. Uh, there are other names that are are um, being suggested for for different posts. We'll have to see. The key things to look for is is chief of staff, right. and they've talked about previous for it. They've talked about other people, mm-hmm. uh, the National Security Council position, um, and you know he has people who are close to him who worked with him in the campaign who will obviously be given uh, those positions as well. So we will see in the, in the next couple of weeks. But they first. The first focus is those who are immediately around the president and the members of the cabinet then. And then you start looking because there are thousands of jobs that that need to be filled and hopefully many people who will be replaced. You know, people talk about Donald Trump's unilateral behavior, so to speak. I can't imagine that somebody can build what he's built over his career and not rely on people and not delegate appropriately and not run a system and a company where he is, in fact, you know, turning to people for advice. It just, I, I know that on the campaign trail didn't always look like that, but I just, I don't, I don't know if it's possible to get to that point in the business world without, you know, having that ability. So I hope that he, in fact, will turn to these people when it comes to issues like this. No, I never worked for him, so I don't right. know, but I know people who did who said good things, and others who say he is somebody who follows his own lead and and makes his own judgments. Uh, during the campaign, often seem not to, to or, or people who were advising him uh, recognize that. This yeah. Although one could him. argue that unless you know something else was going on that we don't know about, one could argue in the last couple of weeks of the campaign he was taking direction. He certainly was doing things differently than than mm-hmm. <laughs> than earlier. Um, that's why I wanted to ask you earlier. Uh, Assad in Syria. What do you think his reaction was to uh, the election of Trump? 
Uh-oh. <laughs> so he's not happy. <laughs> so it's funny. Putin's, Putin's happy. Assad's not. And the two of them recently have been lining up, you know, together on many issues. Yeah, I, I don't know that, that Assad knows yet what the implications of this will be in hopes maybe that the Russians and the Americans um, could, could agree and, and the, the, to counter the uh, extremists. But the problem is what happens with the rebels. The United States backs the ones the Russians are bombing. And, uh, of course, it's a, it's a total mess. So I wouldn't look for any kind of uh, rational prediction out of that. But the, the overall tone and the message that is sent by an administration is very important. And, you know, every president has their own approach. Every president has their own views and, and uh, priorities. But when we have uh, a time of, of so many serious challenges and, and potential challenges um, on the horizon, uh, he, he is not going to have a honeymoon period. He's got to hit the ground running. They have to to address issues very quickly. Uh, we're going to see in November, November 29th, you know, the, the Fatah is supposed to have a conference. We'll see whether there's any real challenge to Abbas's uh, leadership, and they keep making changes. Uh, but this is, you know, he's in the 12th year of his four-year term, and they're, they're going to be bringing uh, people together to, to vote for two of the uh, key bodies, the Central Committee and the uh, bigger uh, revolutionary uh, council, but also Hamas is having an election, and and um, and it's a cu- over a couple months, and it's done in a secretive uh, process. Uh, but it could change things. These are yeah. are it's a long time since the last election uh, took place, and they are obviously moving to undermine uh, Abbas and Fatah, talking about the corruption, etc. Uh, and the change that Hamas faces from the last election, which I think was 2013, is that you got Abbas. You have a CC instead of the Muslim Brotherhood, and the Qatar, Turkey, others reduced their their involvement with them, and the uh, the, the tensions between Iran and and the, the Sunni camp led by Saudi Arabia, uh, these are all going to be take on even greater significance now because of the change that has has taken place. All right, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. We're way behind on time, and there's a question that I know a large segment of this audience wants me to ask you this morning. I know it has to be asked delicately, and you likely have to answer it delicately, but we know the role of Donald Trump's son-in-law in all of this, and he's already been thrust into the national limelight during the campaign, and obviously much more so since the Victory Tuesday night, as we've seen the role that Donald Trump has given him during this very early part of the transition. He is uh, obviously and noticeably a member of the Jewish community, does that in any way uh, um, uh, make you think twice, so to speak, about uh, how heavily our community might seem to be involved in the next administration? Well, I, I don't think, I don't know if he'll go into the administration, but he clearly is somebody the president-elect trusts. I think he's an observant Jew, not just a Jew. Correct. That's why I say notice a wonderful family and, a, and, a, and as a, a wonderful young man, I, I've met him uh, numerous times and he is uh, I, I think he came out of this in a in a very positive life as did his wife and she's a, a very serious uh, Jewess who who committed to, to the practice and the traditions maybe now we'll have even for the first time a kosher portion of the White House kitchen <laughs> uh, so that could be a positive thing to look forward to but I think he will remain an influence whether in or out and I, I my sense will be maybe he'll stay out and and as a member of the family will certainly have a lot of access 
Okay. For a young man, he seems to have very mature thinking and uh, a good good understanding of uh, what is happening. All right, but you haven't you haven't answered the part about uh, Jews in high profile positions. Uh, if that if you're wary of that or not. I'm not. I, I, no, I'm one of those who did not believe that Jews should be excluded because they're Jews. If we want positive people, uh, I'm very happy. If it's a non-Jew, it's very positive. But uh, I think that uh, there's no automatic correlation. There are people who have worked for him who are Jewish who have talked about being in, in the administration. We'll see. But but a lot of names that we haven't seen or didn't know will always end up because they need to fill in the cabinet. They want to have. Diversity. You want to have uh, you know people from who will appeal to different constituencies, so the government is representative, and and is most effective in following the president's lead. And and every president view, because you're not looking for a conflict, and you have to appoint an attorney general, maybe Giuliani, right. maybe somebody else. Uh, but they and and collectively, I think they will be. Uh, very important voices, but I think the vice president will play uh, a big role in in um, a lot of the affairs, domestic and international. All right, fascinating week. Thank you, Malcolm. We'll reconvene two weeks from today. I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Two weeks from today is our next weekly update. It'll be Friday of Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, next week we have our Jewish Unity Initiative mission to Venice. And that's what we'll be concentrating on uh, next Friday morning. Candle lighting at 421, earlier than you'd expect. 421 on this Erev Shabbos, Parshas Lechacha, Veterans Day today. So we salute the veterans who have uh, fought for our freedom and democracy and luxury that we enjoy in this country of ours. Um, don't forget the 24 hours of Kalbach begins Wednesday night, 6 p.m., goes till Thursday, 6 p.m. at the Nahum Siegel Network and NahumSiegel.com and through all of our platforms. And uh, as our transition continues, make sure you're prepared to follow us, JM and the AM, as we become the flagship program of the Nahum Siegel Network exclusively. Uh, the uh, listen line is 605-562-4400, 605-562-4400. Uh, that's to actually call to hear the program at any time. And obviously all the other methods that we've been recommending, you should just certainly have... Um, implemented by now. If you haven't yet, make sure to do so. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos. Is great. Oh, and I want to wish a mazel tov to Ezra Wallach. Big jam in the AM. Nachum Siegel Network Simcha. Ezra Wallach's bar mitzvah this Shabbos. Mazal tov to Miriam L. and to Stephen and the entire extended Wallach and man families from all of us here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Lech Lecha. With Parshas Lech Lecha, we begin Jewish history. Now, once again, I think we have every right to ask the question that's posed by Rashi on the opening Pesach in the Torah. Rashi asks, why does the Torah begin with creation? After all, this is our constitution, and we should begin with chapter 12 in the second book, the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people as a people, namely our unique Jewish calendar. So Rashi answers, quoting the Pasuk from Tilim, Koach Ma'asov Higidli Amo, God shows himself 
as the Creator, because this indeed is to provide us with the deed, D-E-E deed, of Eris Yisrael. Namely, God created the world and He gave initially the land of Israel to certain nations, took it away from them, and gave it to us. So our claim to the land of Israel, which is so central to our being observant Jews in Israel, outside of Israel, our focus on Israel comes from creation. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why are there so many what others might call stories or narratives regarding the patriarchs the matriarchs, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, Yosef. Why are we told all these, quote, stories in our Torah? And this week we begin with Avram Avinu. Certainly, one answer, as given by Reb Chaim Vital, is that Derech Eretz Kodmola Torah. Before we get the dose of mitzvos, beginning with the second book, chapter 12, the Torah is teaching us that you have to be a mensch. You have to be a good person in order to properly absorb and observe Torah. Derech Eretz, good character, has to come first. And therefore, you have in these stories not Bible stories, but Bible lessons. In Parshas Lech Lecha, there is one of the three mitzvos that are found in the book of Bereshis. The second one, the first one of Pru Urvu, was found in Bereshis, according to the Chinuch. The mitzvah of Mila, circumcision, is found at the end of Parshas Lech Lecha. I'd like to share with you an interesting observation of the Be'er Yosef, Rav Yosef Salant, Sechetzadik Levracha. He points out that the Mishnah in the fifth chapter of Avos tells us that Avraham Avinu was tested with ten tests and he passed them all. Interestingly, here in the Mishnah, he's referred to as Avram Avinu, and Reb Chaim Velazhna, in his commentary on Avos, teaches us that why Avinu? Why is he called Abraham our father? Because just as our biological father gives us our DNA, so too does Avram Avinu give us our spiritual DNA? So Avram, who passed his ten tests, bequeaths to his descendants the capacity for us to pass our respective tests. Now, in looking at these ten tests, interestingly, Rashi and the Rambam differ as to what exactly these ten tests were. However, they both agree that among the ten is the fact that Avram goes to war against the four kings. Now, the Torah 
in chapter 14 tells us how powerful these four kings are and Avram goes to war against them these four kings who have defeated the five kings who were living in the land of Canaan at the time and while certainly one could say that one of the reasons the Torah provides us with this piece important piece of history is a further claim that the Jewish people have to the land of Israel our grandfather Avraham is the one who conquered the land but interestingly both Rashi and the Rambam count as one of the ten tests the fact that Avraham defeats these four kings now interestingly most of the ten tests are such that they come from without meaning God tells Avraham that he is Lech Lecha to go and move from where he was in Haran he was to go to the land of wherever God would show him and so Avram is responding he comes to the land of Canaan there's a famine again he has to respond Sarai his wife is taken he has to respond now the idea of the Avraham going to war against the four kings it would appear on the surface that Avraham is volunteering to so do meaning we're told that he hears that his nephew Lot was taken captive and he is going now to rescue Lot from the four kings now one could ask as indeed the Ber Yosef does ask what prompted Avraham to put himself in literally such sakana mortal danger that he's bringing to his life and the 318 men that are with him now Rashi cites the opinion of the Gemara Nidorim 32 that there is an opinion that says that the there really were not 318 men there was only one of the person Eliezer because the gematria, the numerical value of Eliezer is 318 for a moment let's just focus on that possibility let's understand something as we had in last week's parasha of Noach the Torah tells us that the length of the ark was 300 amos approximately 450 feet that's rather long one could say wow look at this ark it had the capacity to house all the animals, all the food, because it was so big. The Ramban writes, my goodness, ten arcs could not satisfy this function in a natural way. So really, it was an incredible miracle. So why does God tell him to make it so big to begin with? Lahaktin eshanes. Because God never wants to show off the miracle, just the opposite, he tries to minimize and to act in a most modest way. Here too, let's believe that there were 318 men. The Torah tells us that this was such a powerful force, these four kings, there's no way that Avram and 318 could defeat them, and there's therefore 318 or Avram and one other can do the job. Now, 
The question is, what gave Avraham the right to put himself in mortal danger, and be it the other men, was certainly Eliezer. And the Ber Yosef suggests something very, very interesting. If you go back to chapter 13, where Avraham says to his nephew Lot, that it seems that Avraham could not properly influence his nephew, and there's constant argumentation between Avram's shepherds, Lot's shepherds, Lot's shepherds were dishonest, and so Avram says to Lot, it is time that we split. If you go to the right, I'll be to your left. You go to the left, I'll be to your right. And Rashi explains over there, what does that mean? Bechol asher teshev, wherever you go, Lois Rachek Mimcha. I won't be far away, meaning Eshmorlach Emodlacha Lemogain Uli Ezer. I'll be there to protect you, to help you. Well, Rashi continues over there, Visovtavar Utsrachlo. And in the end, Lot needed Avraham. Why does Avram put himself in danger? He does so because he gave his word. And the word of Avram Avinu is sacred. And therefore, in order to maintain his sense of honesty, his sense of midas ho'emes, the sense of truthfulness, he, in order to sanctify God's name, he considers that a sufficient license to put himself in mortal danger, and God responds in kind by protecting him, and therefore allowing Avram to win the war against these four kings. What emerges is as follows. We say every day in our davening, in the end of Sukkot Zimra, right before Shiraz Hayam, the Choros Imo Habris, namely, that Hashem established the covenant with Avraham to give him the land that was inhabited by the other nations. And we continue and we say, Vatokem estivorecha kitzadik ata. And you, God, affirmed, maintained your word, for you are righteous. Now, what does that mean? says the commentary on the Siddur, the Ion Tfila, that God keeps His word even when Israel, on its own merits, would have been unworthy of the gift. Meaning, He does it because He gave His word. Whom is Avram going to war for? His nephew Lot. And the Torah tells us about Lot. Lot traveled from the east. But Rashi says it's not simply a direction, but it means literally he's leaving the first power, God of the world. I don't want God, I don't want Avraham, let me go to Sodom. And Rashi tells us, unfortunately, he's attracted to Sodom because of the immorality that's in stone. And yet, Avram gives his word. Avram will maintain his word even for somebody who on the surface is 
unworthy. Now this is a very important point that we learn in terms of the character. Our character is to be one of integrity. And where does that come from? It comes from our father, Avram. The Talmud in Makos 24a takes apart the 15th Psalm. And there, King David lists 11 characteristics as to God, who shall sojourn in your tent, who can dwell on your holy mountain. And the third characteristic is after Holech Tomim Ufowel Tzedek, after one who walks in perfect innocence and does what's right, the third one is, speaks the truth from his heart. And the Talmud explains this to refer to the story of Rav Safra, who had his wares in front of him. The time came to recite the Shema, and that's what he was doing. A customer came and offered him a price, Rav Safra did not answer because he was reciting the Shema. The prospective customer thought that he was not answering because he was not satisfied with the offer. He kept on raising the price. And at the end of the recitation of the Shema, he said, I'm giving it to you, Dover Emes, because of the truth that's in his heart. He would have accepted the first price that was offered. And that's what he took from the man, and not more. He would not take advantage. The Dafyomi this past Wednesday began the fourth chapter of Bav Metziah. And there on the opening page in Hazahav, on page 44a in Bav Metziah, we're taught of something remarkable. That if someone does not keep his word, they could be subject to a curse the Bezdin would impose a curse called Mishapara. Namely, whoever exacted punishment from the Dor Hamabul, from the generation of the flood, from the generation of Haflaga, when God dispersed the other nations and other peoples, God who punished them, they should punish somebody who does not keep his word. Let's understand something. Speech is literally the crown of of man. God breathes into Adam. And the Torah tells us in chapter 2 of Bereshis, Adam Man becomes a living being when God breathes a soul into man. And the Targum, the Unculus, understands it to mean the Ruach Mamalala, a speaking being. Let us understand that the Torah says regarding your speech, Lo yachel devaro. Don't profane it. Rabbi Yochanan said, I wish I had two mouths, one for prayer and one for my secular speech, but God knows best, meaning that the mouth that we use for prayer is the same mouth that we're to use for our everyday speech, that we're not to sully it, we're not to dirty it, to make sure that our prayers won't be rejected, because unfortunately we have not kept our word, and our word has not been pure and holy. Avram Avinu teaches us, not a Bible story, 
in chapter 14, but a very important Bible lesson that the word of man is sacred. And may we, his descendants, ascribe and please God be privileged to follow in his most sacred example. Shabbat Shalom. J.M. and the A.M. on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Shabbos starts earlier than we're used to, 421 on this Erev Shabbos. 421, your official candlelighting time. Reminder, coming up at the top of the hour on the Nachum Siegel Network, Naomi Nachman, uh, she has a table for two, and today on her table for two program, she brings you the Nachum Siegel Network virtual challah bake. A lot of people participating in the challah bakes for the Shabbos project this week. She brings the challah bake into your home, both on video. It'll be uh, on the uh, homepage, NahumSiegel.com, and, of course, audio throughout all of our platforms. You'll hear that at 9 o'clock. Kedem's presentation of the Arab Shabbos Music Mix, which is an amazing way to go through your Friday, uh, comes up between 10 and candle lighting time. Enjoy it all through the day. Um, this coming uh, Sunday, November the 13th, Israel Bonds, New York, invites you to a Flopbush Community Dessert Reception hosted by the Kingsway Jewish Center with guest speaker Stephen M. Flato. A terror victim's father, one-man story, begins at 7.30 p.m. at the Kingsway Jewish Center on Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. Many of you, of course, know the name Elisa Flato, murdered over 20 years ago in Israel as an American Jewish student, killed by the Islamic Jihad suicide bombing in Kfar Darom. Uh, the Kingsway Jewish Center hosts her father, Stephen Flato, this coming Sunday. Stephen Flato is with us live via telephone. Uh, he and I know each other longer than either of us care to admit. Steve Flato, welcome back to JM in the AM. Wonderful to speak to you. It's hard to believe that it's already almost 21 years since Elisa's murder by the enemy, by Arab terrorists in Israel. Um, that You have always been outspoken both about the episode, the incident, the aftermath. You have been proactive in your work against the enemy, both on a, uh, uh, on a um, legal level and, of course, on an outspoken activist level. Uh, how is it and why is it that you've chosen this direction over these couple of decades? Well, I've been with the uh, Israel Bond Speakers Bureau for the last 20 years, and I'm very excited that uh, 15 synagogues are participating in Sunday evening's events. You know, we, we only have one family, and, and it's the Jewish family spread across the world. And whether you're here in the diaspora, whether you're in the state of Israel, I think that we're all the same, that we all have the same interests at heart, that we have the same history, we have the same future. And that's why it's so important for the Flatbush community to come out and support uh, Israel Bond Sunday night at the Kingsway Jewish Center. As for me, what I learned many, many years ago, in, in all honesty, right after we completed Shiva for Elisa, what was that you can't hide under the covers. You have to get up every morning, just like our brothers and sisters do after tragedy, and you start putting one foot in front of the other, and you go towards the future. You don't look back. Yes, you take your losses, you build on your losses, you try to make yourself a better person, and, and, and we go on. And, you know, Nachum, Israel Bonds is such a great opportunity to show support for the people who in Israel every day that they face this horrible prospect and I hate to say it, they don't know if they're coming home at night because yeah. the enemy is out there. And the way we confront that enemy is by building up the state of Israel. And, you know, Israel bonds and the people in the diaspora are counted upon to, to help Israel continue on a daily basis. You know, they're building the light rail. They're working on the train tunnels in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Right. They're working, working on water desalination. 
And, and these are things that were unheard of and unthought of when the country was founded in 1948. So I'm so glad to be with Bonds, and I'm so glad to be speaking um, Sunday evening in, in Brooklyn. The event is this Sunday. It's a Flatbush Community Dessert Reception at the Kingsway Jewish Center. Stephen Flato's topic, A Terror Victim's Father, One Man's Story, starts at 7.30 p.m. at Kingsway on Nostrand Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. Phone number for information is the Manhattan office of Israel Bonds at 212-446-5835, 212-446-5835. You know, I think there are a couple of other elements, Steve Flato. Um, one is that um, you're to be admired for the for the legal work you've done to try to hold the enemy uh, enemy's feet to the fire to uh, to take action in court against state-sponsored terrorism, which uh, I, I think has been... I, I can only imagine how painstaking a process it is. Going in, I'm sure you knew it would take years. Uh, so that's one thing. And then, of course, in your other area where you continuously, you and your family continuously to encourage students from across the United States and other places to keep going to Israel, to spend their gap year there, and uh, despite what happened to your daughter, to understand that uh, there's no better place to be than in Israel. It's all those messages that I think have uh, ha- have always um, uh, given everybody a very positive impression of the way you've reacted to all this. Well, the first thing was, after we got our judgment against Iran, the thing that hurt the most was that our own government turned against us and appeared in court over and over again on, on behalf of the Iranian government. And the release of money over the past um, uh, 11 months, uh, billions and billions of dollars to the Iranian government has, has been painful to, uh, to watch. That was money that should have gone to American victims of, of Iranian terror. It is money that should not have been released until Iran renounced its support for terrorism, admitted that it had been the sponsor of terror attacks uh, around the world that killed Americans. And we, we, have a, we have a government that has just not stood up with, uh, with the, the Jewish people and with the Israeli people vis-a-vis terrorism. And what's also painful is, you know, this Palestinian campaign of day-in and day-out incitement, illegitimizing the Jewish state, illegitimizing our our uh, our contacts with Jerusalem, has not reached anything, any high level of the State Department or the the administration other than a finger-wagging at the Palestinians. You know, it continues on a daily basis. And and that's why each of us here in, in the diaspora has to support Israel. We have to support it through organizations such as Israel Bond. And again, I urge people to come out Sunday night. Um, it's it, no reservations required in advance. The uh, program opens at seven thirty, and, and and my good friend Bob Lunzer, who is uh, celebrating his twenty fifth year with Bond, tells me that walk-ins are very very welcome. All right, excellent. And, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm hoping to see everyone there. Kingsway Jewish Center, Sunday night, 7.30. Stephen Flato on a terror victim's father, one-man story. You had an opportunity to come out for Israel Bonds and to support Israel Bonds, and you've heard why it's such a good idea to do so. Stephen Flato is 100% right. Everybody out there, make Israel as strong as possible, and Bonds is a wonderful way to do it. 212-446-5835. Steve Flato, thanks so much for joining us. Great to reunite in this fashion. (laughs) Good Shabbos now. Good Shabbos, everyone who's listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We mentioned that the uh, for many people around the world, it's a Kalbach Shabbos. Since Rav Shlema's yard site is this coming Wednesday night. have a feeling some people might be using this Mimkomcha tomorrow. Here he is at JM in the AM.
In the AM, the Greater Shoma Kalbach yard site coming up Wednesday night, our 24 hours of Kalbach, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time through Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time at the Nahum Siegel Network. Reminder by Dr. Jacob J. Schachter with thoughts on the anniversary of Kristallnacht. Tomorrow night at 8.15 at the Talmud Torah of Flatbush as part of the Congregation Talmud Torah of Flatbush Fall Lecture Series. Information at 718-377-2528. 718 Keep that in mind for tomorrow night out in Flatbush, Brooklyn. Candlelighting at 421, much earlier than we have uh, had recently. 
Keep that in mind. 421 for candle lighting time on this era of Shabbos. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 
Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jamnam.org, and of course on the NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday here at JM in the AM. Make sure tomorrow night to be tuned in. Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami airs tomorrow night at the Nahum Seagull Network. Sunday, it's Matis with JM Sunday beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Elliot Weiselberg with the encore edition of Court Report, all the Yeshiva League sports updates. Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream on the Nahum Siegel Network. Monday, of course, we're back starting at 6 a.m. Next week at this time, you'll hear about our Jewish Unity Initiative in Venice, Italy, um, as that kicks off uh, officially at the end of this coming week. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Till Monday, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.